Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much for being with us yet again and for uh, having fun with us through our draft day. Um, I know many that are here are part of our family, but uh, we just enjoy one another. And we, uh, we want to have a little fun at church and care for one another. And so uh, we enjoy those moments to celebrate our children and the families and those types of things. And we are continuing in Mark chapter number 12 this morning. And in Mark chapter 12, we're going to come to verse number 28. And inside of this passage, as we'll look at this morning, uh, is um, just another question that's being asked of Christ. And uh, before we get there, though, uh, if you recall in the, the times coming up, we're now in the, the final week of Jesus' life, the Passion Week. We have uh, uh, Jesus has now entered into Jerusalem, the the uh, the. We've experienced all of those things, riding on the donkey and the, the clothes that were put down and the, uh, all of that. And we've, we have experienced so many different things to honor Christ as he walked in. Then on Tuesday, uh, Jesus came into the temple. And if you recall, what did Jesus do on Tuesday? He flipped some tables. And I still think that's probably one of that. I mean, it's like one of the most awesome, but yet probably scariest things that ever happened in human history. Like Jesus walks in and it's just like, you know what? I'm angry. Boom. Like this same guy that's always just loving and yes, he does what he does, but it's just, I don't, I don't know. I think that would have been like a, one of those moments where like time kind of stood still and everybody was like, all right, I'm just going to kind of quietly go over this way. Um, you know, when dad walks in the room and everything's like, you know, he's at any rate. So that took place. And in that moment, after that moment going on, going forward, is basically the elites of the temple and the elites in the Jewish area, in that, or the Jewish area, the Jerusalem area, were really now uh, under fire. Their authority was now about to be challenged. All of the things that they kind of, you know, we have set this place up that all of these people are going to abide by our rules and we're going to do this and we are the ones. And now all of a sudden Jesus walks in and they're kind of like, oh, no. And so with that, we see the last several weeks that we have been studying, which is really uh, just a one day. These questions begin to come. They begin to question and challenge Jesus's authority. They begin to challenge Jesus and so many other things. They challenge him as to uh, looking at the, the taxes and the, the governor and, and will, he, will he adhere to or will he not? Will he give in to the government or will he stay with the children of Israel? Will he do this or will he do that? And they begin to challenge him. They challenge him on the resurrection. We looked at it last week with, with marriage and the resurrection and who would be married. This, this man is going to, or this woman was married to seven brothers. So who would be, who would he be married to in the afterlife? Again, people that don't even believe in the afterlife are challenging him on this. Today we come to another passage of scripture. And I just think it's interesting as we look at all of this, because this is all taking place in one day and in one spot. All that we have just looked at is all happening at the same exact time. Basically, all of the town is at the temple. Everything's happening at the temple. They're challenging him. And it's not like it's him and one or two people. All of this is taking place in and amongst all of these people. As I was studying this week, I just thought it was interesting to think, who was in the room and what did everybody hear? Because as we get into this, we'll see uh, in verses 28 and even going into Matthew and some of the other passages of Scripture that would reference this same thought 
it says that the scribe came and having heard them reasoning together, having heard all of what's taken place and having heard the conversations and having heard everything that's taken place, he comes to his own conclusion, this guy has spoken well. This Jesus has answered properly. And he now is going to go and he's going to ask Jesus a question. And I just thought this week, as I'm saying, man, who all heard what? Like, who heard what? Have you ever been at the restaurant and you hear everybody's conversations, right? No, never mind. None of you eavesdrop on anyone's conversations. That's just my wife. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> what is it? I'll feel that later. <laughs> No, but we all, we, there's so many times where we're in, in a gathering of people and you hear parts of conversations. These guys are, this is Jesus. I'd imagine that everybody was doing all that they could to have their ear as close to Jesus as they could. Ooh, what's he going to say now? Oh, how is he going to answer that question? And here it's, we have this scribe who has, has gathered with and he has listened to all of these discussions and all of these arguments and he now comes and there's another challenge. There's another question that's going to be taken. And as we look at this, we see all of this. And I believe this morning there's a challenge to each of us in this room. I believe there's a challenge to each of us in a, in a, as it pertains to our priority as it pertains to what is the most important thing in our lives, as these elites, these religious elites, if you will, have, have been for, for, for a long, long time, they've argued some of the same arguments, and the, the question that's about to be asked is this, what is the greatest law? What law should be our number one priority? These people have argued this for a long time. This man walks up to Jesus and he says, Jesus, of the 613 laws that are before us, which one is the greatest? This conversation had been argued in rabbinical schools for years and years and years and years. In the Talmud, there's, there's endless and tedious discussions inside of this question of which one of them is the most important. You see, because what they would do is they would grade the law. They would grade the law as, the, as to what is the, the, the worst and what is the best. What, could I, what, what law could I get away with doing this and what law would be, in, man, if I did that, I'm done. 613, they would figure it out. They, they had a scale of this one is the one that we can't, we, we have to keep this one. This one, and eh, not so much, we'll keep that over here. This one, oh, we've got we to put that up here. This one, eh, we'll put that over here. This is what they would do. They would grade the laws. They would grade the severity of the laws. Which one can I get away with and which one is the most severe? Endless discussions. Because you could only imagine, to you, Jim, this might be really important. To me, I'm going, who cares about that? Now we're arguing. No, this is the most important. No, it's not. That only affects you. Now we've got all of these people in this room, all of these great minds discussing and arguing which ones are most important and which ones are the least important. And so this scribe, 
has been a part of all these conversations. This scribe, has, he's knowledgeable of the law. This scribe has been a part of so many different things, and he now comes to this place. And it says in verse 28, having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he answered them well, having heard all of the questions, having heard the discussions amongst all of us, having reasoned in his own mind that Jesus answered the questions properly, this scribe or this law now comes, the lawyer now comes to Jesus and says, Hey, Jesus, which one is most important? Of all of these things, which one is the most important? And what I love about this is this particular man, it says that he reasoned. It says that he found that all of the answers of Christ were perfect. They were right. He will even later inside of this passage say that he had spoken the truth. In Matthew, it says that he comes with a test. And I'm not discrediting Scripture at all, but everything that I've studied this week really doesn't speak to this man as testing, as prodding, as we have seen in the last several weeks. As much as this man genuinely was coming to the Lord with a question. With a pure heart. Have you ever been challenged? Anybody ever been challenged in their authority? Have you ever been challenged with a sour heart and a sour motive? Have you ever been challenged when somebody is genuinely just asking you a question and truly and genuinely wants to know the answers? There's a lot of difference. Those are completely different. There's been times I've been challenged where I just want to reach across the table, smack the dude's head on the, the table, right? You don't, you don't care about your question. You just want to try to prove me. You want to, do, you want to discredit. You want to disprove. You want to do something. You want to fight. There's other times when there's a genuine question at hand. I believe in everything that I've studied, but it, it's, it would come to, and even as we look at the end of this passage, that this gen, gen, gentleman had a true question, a genuine question before the Lord, Jesus, which of these laws is the most important? Which of them? And the reason that I say that is if you go back, if you go down to the end, and even it's in the title this morning, in verse number 34 of this passage, it says, you are not far from the kingdom. Jesus' response to this man, after he answers the question, the man then responds to Jesus. Jesus says, you are not far from the kingdom. That question has rung in my head all week long. Because I think of it from multiple different angles. I think of it from the side of being in church my entire life and how many times I've struggled with what is truly heart relationship with Lord and what is just what I've known in my head and I know how to say it and I know how to act and I know where to go and what to do. I've served, I've done all the things, I've given and I've done all of that and I, I, I'm, I thought of it from that perspective of how many people in the passage of scripture where, where it says, Lord, Lord. He says what? Depart from me, for I never knew you. Because there's a reality that many sit in the church and that statement, you are not far from the kingdom, is true. You know it. 
You have every answer. You know what to say. You know what to do. You know where to go. You know where to be. You know all of the ways to act perfectly inside of the context so that we're all like, oh, they just love Jesus. But there's absolutely no aspect of loving Jesus inside of our heart. Man, that's a scary statement. There's also the statement for me that as I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking, not far from the kingdom of God, and I look at it, people that truly know the Lord but are just not walking in such a manner, and they are, they're, they're not far, but they're just, man, they're just outside, just living a life that has nothing to do with honoring God. And it's like, man, you're just, you're, you're missing it. People that know the Lord. The reality is there's people that know the Lord, genuinely know God right now inside of this room that are not walking at all like him or with him. Then there's people that are truly just seeking the kingdom of God. <laughs> and their heart is genuine. And God, maybe, it be, maybe it's like this gentleman who is saying, Jesus, just tell me. Tell me what is. The greatest law, I want to do all that I can to uphold it. I want to know that. I want to live that way. I want to, and there's some of you in this room, and there's some that may be listening, that are genuinely seeking after the face of God, and his response is, you're not far from the kingdom. But you've never completed that. We might look at the rich man, right? Just not too long ago, the rich man asked the right question, came with the right heart. What must I do? Jesus said, sell all that you have and give to the poor. And the man left, unwilling to surrender all to the Jesus. We don't know what happens with this gentleman. I don't know if this scribe surrendered everything and followed Jesus. And we'll see him in heaven one day. I don't know. That's part of my pondering throughout the week is, man, what is this statement? What is the completion of this statement? But there's so much in that. And so this morning I simply entitled the sermon, Not Far From the Kingdom of God. And we'll touch a little bit on that in the end. But this morning, the bulk of this and the question that comes in is, which is the greatest? Today we're going to look at Mark chapter 12 and verses 28 to 34. With that title of Not Far From the Kingdom. And just a couple simple statements that I've put down. To love God is to love others. To love others is to love God. And to love God is to be close to the kingdom. Let's look at Mark chapter number 12, verse 28 and following. And one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, with all thy mind and with all thy strength, this is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said unto him, Well, master, thou hast said the truth. For there is one God, and there is none other but he. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love his neighbor as himself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God, and no man after that durst ask him any question. Father, we come to you today, and Lord, it's a passage that is familiar. It's a passage that many in this room have heard 
much of their lives, love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. But God, I pray today, not because of me or my delivery, but God, I pray that I would be hidden behind your cross. And God, that your word, which is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, would pierce into the soul and drive us to seek you. Lord, that we would have a greater understanding to love you more wholly and completely with everything that we have. God, that we would surrender to you. God, if there is one that does not know you, they're seeking you this morning. God, I pray that this morning they would leave knowing you, responding to you in salvation. That today might be the day of salvation for somebody in this room, somebody listening online. Would you draw them to yourself? For it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. I'm going to dive right in. Draft day took all of my time this morning, so uh, I'm just kidding. We're going to get into it this morning. But the first thought is this. We must properly, we must properly recognize God. We must properly recognize God. Jesus is asked this question by an individual scribe who is testing him, who is asking again. I believe genuinely asking, and I'm even, I'm even curious uh, as I look at this statement. And when Jesus saw and answered uh, he answered discreetly in verse 34. I'm, I'm just curious. You know, I, I play softball often on Monday nights, not through the summer because I don't want to play softball in 180 degree weather. But Monday nights I play softball and I love playing ball. I'm thankful for Jack and Tommy. However, 10, 12, 13 years ago, you invited me to play one night and they thought I was okay enough to continue to play. Now they don't play and I play. Um, But either way, Monday nights I play softball, and there's many times where I've had uh, the opportunity, uh, now years in with many of these guys, I've played for several years with them. They know who I am. I believe that they respect who I am and what I do. Uh, And many times I will stand in the end of the dugout, at the corner of a dugout, and somebody will quietly come over to me and just ask me a small question. Their Uncle D plays with us on occasion. And Uncle D will come over to me every once in a while and he'll say, hey, I saw you online. That was a pretty good one. And then he'll walk away. Some of the guys will come to me and they'll say things like, hey, are you, are you going on any of those trips anytime soon? And I'm like, well, no, nothing's coming up. But because I've talked about missions trips and I've talked about different things that we've done. And they'll ask those questions quietly and discreetly off to the corner where nobody else is. And I often thought as I was studying this week, I'm thinking to myself, I wonder if this is kind of what it is, where this guy is just coming over to Jesus kind of quietly and discreetly saying, hey, Jesus, could you, could you answer? I believe that there was others just kind of, their ears were pinned to try to figure out what was going on and trying to listen because that's what it was. But I often wonder, and Jesus Of these 613 laws, which one is the most important? Which ones do we 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 must keep? Which are the what is the one that is doing that? And as I just said, I believe the ears were there listening, and no doubt many were wondering how he would respond and what is he gonna say about this or what is he gonna say about that? Because they looked at Moses and they revered who Moses was. 
In the Old Testament, Moses was, uh, not God, but Moses was really as, as, because Moses was the one that took them out. Moses was the one that led them. Moses was the one that was a part of the 40 days and 40 nights. Moses was the one that saw God in the burning bush. Moses was the one that slapped the, the, the water and the, the, the waves or the water parted. Moses was the one that had the laws given to him that he then gave it to them. So they looked at Moses and they revered him of all. What is Jesus going to say? Is Jesus going to put himself above? How is he going to respond to this? And they just kind of waited and they waited and they listened. I imagine their ears were there. But before we get into that, the very first, the question is asked, which is the first commandment of all? Jesus' response in verse 29, I would say is probably the most important response that he gave was in verse number 29. Because he said this, the first of all the commandments is... Hear, O Israel, what does it say? The Lord our God is one Lord. See, the greatest of all the commandments, yes, it's the, there's the commandments that are given, and thou shalt this, and thou shalt that, and thou shalt not, and all of those commandments are given, but the, the foundational piece of all of that is what? Who is God? Hear, O Israel, in Deuteronomy chapter number 6 and verse number 4 is where this is found. And it's, it's what's entitled the, the Shema, which is part of their, the, the, the Jewish culture. It's their morning and evening prayers, even to this day. They have a box called a phylactery, which I just think is a really cool word. But the phylactery that would be put upon the forehead... And inside of that box that is on their forehead is this passage of Scripture. And they quote it morning and they quote it in the evening. And they memorize Scripture and they pray over those Scriptures. They keep it on the forefront of their minds. They have them, they have tassels, and they have other things that they put upon their, their wrists where they would tie things upon their wrists and they, would, they will read through those and they will quote through those and they will hold them and they will, they will do things with the string around their wrists and they do all of these things to keep the, the Word of God. And Jesus takes to them and Jesus says, the first is the Lord our God is one Lord. It is vital for each of us in this room today, more than anything, to know who the Lord is. Is the Lord one? See, to them, the Lord as the one and true living Lord would be saying that Yahweh is Lord, is that, that the Yahweh is that covenant name given to His people. Yahweh is our God and only our God. We have no other. Yahweh is saying that He is the one in essence and in existence. He alone is God and there is no other. This is what Jesus, that's what that, that passage is saying and it kind of goes further. But really Jesus is now saying to them, we must set Him as Lord of all. He is God. He is Lord. And the sense is that we must first make the confession of one's faith that he is God. Can I tell you today, you can keep every law that you want to keep. 
if you don't have God as God, as Lord of all in your life, it really doesn't matter that you've kept the law so long as you still don't know Him as God. Our faith must be in Him as God and as, in Him as Lord of all. That's what that passage is kind of, in a nutshell, is speaking to. And I start here with this statement or this first point because, again, we must recognize that God is the one true and living God. I ask you this morning, have you come to the place in your life where you have placed your faith and trust in God as God? That's foundational. That is foundational in all of those things. See, without God being God in our life, I can't recognize His sovereignty in my life. I can't recognize him to be obedient unto the laws that he has given to me. I can't recognize him as any of those things if he is not God. See, the struggle with people in life and the questions that get asked about if God is truly this, then why would all of these things happen? You know, the, the, the biggest piece of that is they don't have him as God. Their faith is not wholly in him as God. Will we still ask those questions sometimes as believers? Yeah, we do. There's no doubt. But at the end of the day, when I can rest everything within me to say, no, God is God, and I don't like and I don't understand, but God is God. I trust His sovereignty. That's the difference. Look in our society today. God is not God in our society today. Think of this, even looking at it from a spiritual sense. If God is not God, I cannot and I do not obey the things of God. Because the... God is completely undermined. Many of you in this room, maybe not many of you, several of you in this room are teachers. Inside of your classrooms, you know, a large part of the problem inside of our classrooms, inside of the school system, inside of whatever else we want to look at it, inside of the business world, however you want to look at it, is because we have undermined authority. And if you undermine authority, the authority has nothing. If my kids can go to school and they know that when they come home and they say, well, my teacher was mean to me, and I say, well, you do what you want to do and don't worry about that teacher. I have undermined the authority of the teacher. Therefore, my kids have the opportunity to do anything that they want. That's our, that's our society. That's our culture. I'll promise you this, and I'm not perfect, but when my kids come home and they let me know about how bad their teacher is, we reinforce the teacher and we let our children know that we will talk to the teacher if we have an issue. So that our children respect the authority of the teacher because they are the ones in authority. Now take that back to you and take that back to your walk with God. If God is not God, then I'll do whatever I want because he's not the authority. What happens in your life and in my life when I decide to be my own God? Right? I want to do what I want to do. You know what? I'm going to go and I'm going to get plastered. And I'm going to have a great time this weekend because I want to have a great time this weekend. God has now stepped here. Aaron became God. The authority is now no longer. It's what I want. Why is it important to recognize God as God? Because when God is God and God is authority and God is all of these things... Everything underneath of it begins to fall in that line. 
and my structure of living is under the authority and the guides of Him. And it impacts my children and how they look at their earthly authority. And we'll see that in just a minute because if we love God, we love others. And that's authority. Do we follow? The first thing, and i got to get rolling. The first thing is that we must properly recognize God. And Jesus' response to them was first, properly recognize Him as Lord. One Lord. Second thought is this. Recognize the the commands of God. Jesus then now goes to answer the question, or continue to answer the question. Answering perfect, he says, let's look at the law of Moses, and let's recognize this. We know he is our Lord, the one Lord, the only Lord. And with that, we would love him with our heart, soul, mind, strength. God is a God of order, and there's always order. And they were asking, what does that look like? But what I think is kind of fun is if you even go back, and I don't know how fun it is, but I think it's interesting that God is the God of order, and so we begin to see all of this. How has God set everything up anyways? The first is this, that we would love God with heart, soul, mind, strength. The second is to love your neighbor as yourself. Go back to the Ten Commandments. Before the 613 laws, how did God set that up? Let's look at it. Are we good to look at it? Do we have a minute? Cool. It should be on the screen. The first four. No other gods before me. No graven image. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath. Keep it holy. Those are the first four commandments. Who do they reference and what does it reference? God as God. God as priority. God as everything here. So if there's nothing before him... If there's no graven image, I'm not worshiping the idol of Baal. I'm not worshiping all of those things. I'm not taking his name in vain because I honor and I respect. And I'm remembering and keeping the Sabbath to keep it holy. Those are God first. What are the next six? Glad you asked. Here we go. The next six are what? Honor, father, mother. Do not kill. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not covet. What does that have to deal with? You. So it starts in the Ten Commandments. God said, love me. Out of loving me, you will not take my name in vain. You will keep the Sabbath. You will honor me. You will not honor, worship other gods. You will do all of those things. Out of that, then you will do what? You're not going to kill. You're going to honor. You're going to not commit adultery. You're not going to steal. So when you love God, you're not going to do those things to others. It's already written there. Isn't that kind of interesting? God's already set it up that we would love Him. And so as we get into that, however, it's not that we would just love God, but the measure to which we are to love God is as much as anything looked at here. I I made this reference earlier, and I will make this reference now. There's a lot of people that walk out of the door and you're like, oh, love you, man. Love you, bro. Our vernacular is very much, love you. We say those things, whether it's just the the context of church or it's a context of culture, I don't know, whatever it is. But there's a lot of people that were like, oh, man, love you. Like, there's guys that I have known, literally, I've met, like, probably once, twice, that are inside of ministry, 
and I've left conversations. They're like, love you, bro. You're the best. Praying for you. And I'm like, you don't even know. You don't even, you had to ask. I reminded you of my name. You follow? I, I question their genuine love for Aaron if they don't know Aaron's name. Just, you know, just one of those little things. Just saying. But as we look at those, that's not how Jesus says to love God. The measure by which we would love God is, it says, all. And it's all before every one of those words. All of our heart. All the soul. All. All. Every fiber, every aspect, every being, that, everything within us, we are to say, God, this is yours. I love you. And why do we do that? I'm glad you asked, because he first loved you. As we get into this, as we look at this idea, as we, we pour everything, all of my emotion, man, think about that. For some of you, that's a lot. <laughs> You're emotion, we're emotional creatures. Some of you are much more emotional creatures than others. I'm supposed to give all of my emotion and the, the real all of me, who I am, all of my heart. I'm supposed to give all of that? All of my spirit and that self-conscience and the soul that is in me? All of my intellect, and some of you are very intellectual far more than I am. Every aspect of that, our body, our power, our strength. God says we give all of that. He wants, he wants all of me. How many of you are married today and you're like, you know what, if my wife, if she, if she just cared for me a little, if, you know, I don't want her to love, you know, not with all of her heart, but I mean, if she just a little bit. Is there anybody in this room that's like, yeah, please, if, I mean, maybe some of you are like, if she loved me at all, that would be great. No, I sure hope my wife loves me completely. I do. And I hope that she desires the same from me. We're not like, well, babe, just, you know, let me Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. We're good. Do what you want the rest of the week. I really don't care, but so long as I have those, those couple days. Do you know how ridiculous, if we, if we were to think about our walk with God, how ridiculous it would be? In relationship with people? Honestly? Mindy, you've got my affection. Sunday morning from 10.30 to 12. And then Wednesday night from like 6.30 to 8 if I decide to go to life group. Those are the hours that you have my affection. Does that not sound ridiculous? It sounds very ridiculous. And some of you are like, Shh, shut your mouth and stop saying that. But that's ridiculous. But you know, that's many, that's our church love of Jesus. Well, Jesus, you have me on Sunday morning. Well, tell your wife that. Tell your spouse that. Hey, on Sunday morning for an hour and a half, just don't go longer than the hour and a half. 
I'll love you then. I'll give you my time then. I know I wouldn't be married. (laughs) But we look at this. Jesus says, everything, all of you, we love because he first loved us. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. It is hard because our flesh desires our flesh. It's hard to surrender, but he loves and he gave. Romans 5, 8, but God commended his love toward us, and yet while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That love is this. God's love is his grace. God's love is the deliverance from sin that we experience. God's love is that salvation from sin, which brings death. Think about that. The sin that brings death. The sin that is separation. He loves and gives us grace and deliverance. God's protection is a part of His love. God's healing. God's forgiveness. God's mercy. God's eternal life. God's restoration. God's redemption. God's the reality that we can be saved from the wrath of God is God's love that is showed to us. God's love is His undeserved Mercy and love and grace that's given to us. God loves. (laughs) And because he loves, I, I love him. As we recognize him as the one true God... We see that in that that passage of Scripture there in 29, as we put him above all of the other things... He is Lord, one Lord. It sure makes it a lot easier to say God hears everything. Because I recognize who you are as holy and righteous. And then I begin to see how depraved I am in my own sin. In and of myself, I could do the most heinous and wicked things that any man could ever imagine. As much as we don't like to think it. That is the heart of man. That is the wickedness of man. And because that is my wickedness, and I recognize that, but yet I see you as God and holy and righteous, but yet you loved me anyways, I worship and I bow and I say, God, I do not deserve it, but I praise you and I love you. And I surrender everything to you. Lastly, this morning is this, to love God is to live close to Him. As we surrender all, it says that we would love our neighbor. I promise you this, in the simple statements that I put up at the very beginning, to love God is to love others, and to love others is to love God. They do not separate themselves. If you love God, you will love others. And the only way you can love others is if you love God. There can be no other way. There is no other way because love is of God. Period. To truly love is only of God. And if I genuinely love God, then I will genuinely love people. I wish I could say that's perfect love. (laughs) I don't perfectly love. I say things that I shouldn't, and I act in ways that I shouldn't act. But you can pretty much tell those that love God 
The Bible speaks of it this way in 1 John chapter 4 and verses 7 through 11. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. And then what does it say? He that loveth not knoweth not God. For God is love. And this was manifested, the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sin. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Our command, as Jesus speaks here, is then to love others. If we love others, what does that look like? That looks like us. I mean, in loving God and then loving others, a part of that looks... It looks it's sharing our faith. If I genuinely love you because I love God and I know that you don't love the Lord, then I live a life that would honor Him, that would speak to Him, that would share my faith. I get that there's times and I get that there's places and I get that we do that with grace and I get that we do that in honoring and respect of people. But at the end of the day, if I don't speak to my Lord and I don't honor and brag on my God, do I love my God? How much do I love my wife and children if I'm unwilling to speak of my wife and children? I, I, I have no problem bragging about my kids. None at all. Sometimes I maybe shouldn't because, I mean, they're, they're special. No, I brag on my kids all the time. Why? Because it's easy to brag on my kids. I love them. I'm proud of them. I could speak for hours about each one of them and the passions that they have and how God is using them in different ways because I'm proud of them. But yet sometimes I don't speak that same passion about my Savior. Man, if I love God, I would love others. I would speak to that. Leviticus says, gives us really an answer. Leviticus 19, verses 10 through 18. And I'm not going to read all of that, but if you were to go back through there, it really gives us the answer as to what it, is, what it looks like to love others. It says that we would care for the poor in verse number 10. It speaks that we would not steal in verse number 11. It says that we wouldn't lie in verse 11. It would be that we would be fair in business dealing. Some of you are salespeople and business aspects of that, and we do what we can. Do you do things to cut corners to make an extra buck? God's Word says that we would be fair in our business. It says that we would care for the deaf. It says that we would care for the blind. It says that we would deal justly with all. It says that we would avoid slander. It says that we would not jeopardize the life of our neighbors. It says that we wouldn't hate our brother. Hate your brother in your heart. It says that we wouldn't rebuke our neighbor or that we would rebuke your neighbor when necessary for his and your good. That we would not take revenge or bear a grudge against others. All of these things is spoken. When I love God, these are things that I would do. And there's more that we could go through Scripture and speak to. But if I love God, the outpour of loving God, the natural cause of love, or natural outcome of loving God is that we would love others. Such love is sacrificial. I love 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. All of those words there that speak to that. All of that is a God love, not a self love, a God love that only comes from God. And I don't say this in disrespect to anybody in this room. I could not pastor people if I didn't love God. Now, I don't love perfectly, 
And there's moments I'm probably not in love with Jesus the way that I should, and then I deal with people, and it's probably not good. But you know, the reality is this. People are ugly. Not just face. (laughs) But people are ugly. People are ugly. There's somebody in this room right now that walk out of this room and say, Pastor, that was the greatest thing. I needed that, and you're in tears, and this was special, and blah, blah, blah. And there's somebody that's sitting five rows from you that's going to walk out of this room and be like, I can't believe you took that much time with the kids. And that was really loud. And it's not funny. We're supposed to have, we're not supposed to have, that's, this is supposed to be serious. I mean, five people got baptized, and there's someone's like, well, what about the floor? It got wet. What are you talking about? Wet floor. People got baptized. Shut your mouth. People are ugly. And if we don't love God with everything, we don't love people the way that we ought to. And you know what? You guys laugh. Those are legit emails that come to my office. It was a little bit loud this morning, and da 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 da. Five people got saved. What do you mean it was a little loud? Because people are people. You deal with them. We have to love God. Listen, you won't serve in the nursery longer than five minutes if you don't love God. Because parents are ridiculous. Um, at 12.03 and 30 seconds, my daughter needs her 12th. You know, like, what? Stop. Go in the overflow. It's easier that way. <laughs> no, but we've got to love God because the outpour of loving God is naturally to love people. It's naturally to love people. And we can joke and we can do all those things, but you all know it's, it's real. It's real. You see them, you go to restaurants, you do whatever. Can I just tell you, if everywhere that you go, you have to make a statement about people testing your patience, you might want to go back to God's word and be like, God, I have a problem and I need to love you more. I'm, I mean that seriously. There's people that I go with and I'm like, Oh my word, everywhere we go, you say the same thing. These people just test my patience. Man, you got a problem. If everywhere I go, people are testing my patience and I'm about to throw people through a wall, I've got an issue. Let's get it fixed. And I tell you, it's, it's fixable. It's here. It's pride, but it's here. This morning, I'm going to end with this. I cut a handful of things out, but I'm going to end with this. As we look at this passage of Scripture, and we look at all of this, Jesus then comes around, and in verse 32, the scribe responds and says, Well, Master, thou hast said the truth. There is one God. There is none other. To love Him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with the soul, with the strength, And to love his neighbor as himself, what does it say? Is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. (laughs) 
the scribe who's questioning Jesus says, Jesus, you are right. To love you is far better than all of these whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. It's so true. And Jesus' response to him, and when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly and said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom. I don't want to question your salvation. That is not at all my point this morning. I want to draw us to a place where we're driven back to the word, that we're driven to know him more intimately, that we are in that place, that we don't serve because it looks good, we don't give because it looks good, we don't do any of those things. Again, it is far better to love God with everything than all of the whole, whole burnt offerings and the sacrifices. But as I look at this, and as I study this week, I came across these questions, and I'm going to give them to you this morning, and if you uh, want to take pictures of them, or if you have time to write them down, I don't know, or if you need to ask me later, you can ask me later. Give me a good email, not one of those other ones, but uh, I'll respond with it. But I want you to take this kind of a litmus test a little bit, if you will. I promise you this, if you genuinely look at these, I promise you you'll leave with a punch in the gut, um, because... I left that way as I was reading them and have read them multiple times throughout the week. But I want you to do this. As we look at this idea and look at this thought of loving God with everything, I want you to ask these questions to yourself. And maybe it's something that you go through weekly. Maybe it's something that you look at regularly. I don't know. But the first couple are this. I put them on. There's two at a time on the screen. And it says this. Is the Lord the all-consuming passion of my life? Is the Lord the all-consuming passion of my life? Do I have a deep, intense, and abiding affection for my Lord? As you look at your walk, as you look at all the things that is going on in your life, is God all-consuming? Do, do, I, do I have a deep and intense, abiding affection for the Lord? The next couple are this. Am I loyal to my God with an exclusive love? Am I loyal to my God with an exclusive love? Do I resist and even oppose anything or anyone that seeks to do my Lord harm? Am I loyal to God exclusively? Do I resist others that are opposing, trying to do harm to my God? Five and six, am I zealous to with grace defend my Lord's name and honor? I want you to really highlight, if you write this down, highlight with grace. A lot of us love to argue and fight. The grace aspect of it often fails, at least in my world sometimes. Do I enjoy spending time with my Lord? That, just in of itself, right there, number six, if we're just to be honest, that can be a gut punch at times. Do I enjoy spending time with my Lord? Or seven, do I do things that please my Lord and increase his joy? Do I brag on my Lord to others? Do I do things that please my Lord and increase his joy? Do I brag on my Lord to others? Do I tell my Lord that I love him? Do I talk with my Lord as much as I can? You know, I look at all of these and as I'm closing up, I'll have the praise team come up so we can close out this morning. But as I look at these, it's not 
maybe the perfect 10 questions. But I hope that as we look at this passage of Scripture and as we dive into God's Word, that we would be honest with ourselves. Is God number one? I don't think any of us, because we're imperfect, would say, no, in my perfect world, this is how, you know, nothing, we're never, we're not there. Of those ten, you could probably, you know, your response to those maybe, you know, fluctuates. You're good here, you're rough here, you're struggling there, whatever. But do I love God with everything? This morning, do you love the Lord? I believe most in this room would say, Pastor Aaron, I, I love God. I do. But does he have everything? Does he have everything? Is my heart surrendered to him? Is my soul surrendered to him? Is my strength surrendered to him? Is my mind surrendered to him? God, I give it all to you. Maybe this morning you would just say, I'm seeking after him. I don't know. I've never surrendered. I've never made him Lord. I've never put him at the place where he is first and foremost God in my life when I've never said yes to him to place my faith and trust in him. Maybe today your surrender, your saying yes is to say God, I need you to be my Savior. I need, to, I need to place my faith in you. For you, it may be, believer, you, yeah, you love God. But maybe you don't love him enough to give him time throughout the week. Maybe you don't love him enough to spend time talking with him. This morning as we close, not to prolong anything, not to do anything of that nature, but as we close out this morning, my prayer to you is that you would just respond to him. And my desire is that we would have a church that's not, that doesn't worship the pastoral staff, that doesn't do any of those things, but but you are individually seeking the face of God. And that we would follow after him holy truthfully to the best of our ability. I pray that this passage of Scripture would would challenge you, that you would be challenged in the sense that you would then go back and say, I need to study more. I need to know Him more. I need to get on my knees. I need you, God. I love you, but I can't say that I love you with everything in me. So this morning, I'm encouraging you to respond to Him. Father, as we come... As we've looked at your word, as we've been challenged, Lord, I pray that we would call you God, put you number one. And Father, where there's areas in our lives where it's, whether it's just a lack of surrender or it's our pride, Maybe for some, there's addictive pieces. Maybe for others, it's just we've allowed busyness to overtake our true love for you. But God, would we give to you? Would we respond to you? 